All right, it's time once again for the Robert Scott Bell Show. Usually you don't see my, my uh, ugly mug here in the preview, but Robert is preoccupied at the moment. Uh, we actually pre-recorded with Jonathan E. Mord uh, for today's show, so uh, Robert is doing some kind of training or something. So um, anyway, I am here. He is not, but here's what's coming up on the show today. Uh, the first hour with Jonathan E. Mord, they're going to be kicking things off with talking about a historic Supreme Court case that has a potential to shake up the entire U.S. tax code. Then uh, we'll be talking about President Trump's stance on protective orders and his firm belief that uh, they violate his First Amendment rights. Does President Trump have First Amendment rights? I think he does. And then how about this? Um, here's a question. Are knives considered arms protected by the Second Amendment? You ever thought about that? Second Amendment always has something to do with guns, right? But what about knives? Would knives be considered something to be protected by the Second Amendment? That's something that uh, uh, Robert and Emord will uh, talk about, delve into the legal reasoning and explore the historical context of the Second Amendment and how it relates to knives. Then in hour two, uh, you ever heard of school-based health centers? Apparently, they're being pushed by federal entities. Uh, we'll talk about why school-based health centers are a bad idea. Uh, how about leprosy? I haven't talked about leprosy. Have we talked about leprosy on the show? I don't know if we have, but apparently it's all the rage in Florida right now. Uh, FDA. FDA has admitted that their guidance on ivermectin was illegal and, have, and get this, the FDA has invoked something called sovereign immunity. What's that all about? We'll find out. And then my favorite story of the day. Apparently, there's a new study that's suggesting there's a connection between bowel movements and Alzheimer's. Can't wait for that one. But in the meantime, let's get things started here with uh, Jonathan E. Mord, Robert Scott Bell, and you. Here on the Robert Scott Bell Show, if you have any questions or comments, you can chime in at the website, in the chat room there, or on the social media outlet of your choice, except for the ones we're banned on. So in any case, enough of my rambling. Let's get on with the show. The Robert Scott, the Bell, Robert Bell, show. Scott Bell Show. The voice of health, freedom, and liberty. The Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, y'all. It's that time of the week again with Jonathan E. Moore to uh, rekindle the sacred fire of liberty. And we do this every Thursday in addition to uh, <clears throat> for the last, I don't know, has it been a year? I'll have to ask him how long it's been. We had the added bonus of talking about the, the genuine excitement I feel for his run for the United States Senate in Virginia to defeat Tim Kaine. So we'll always uh, include updates as to what's going on on the campaign trail as well, um, bringing the Constitution back <laughs> where it belongs and activate it and all of that. So uh, let's uh, crank up this uh, Sacred Fire Liberty Edition. It's all linked up at robertscatbell.com. Of course, you can check out emord4va.com as well and any others uh, that support this message of health, freedom, and healing liberty. We appreciate you for sharing the show. Now on to the show, Jonathan E. Moore, my brother. What's going on? How's the, how's the campaign trail? What are you doing? Are you home at all? <laughs> uh, rarely, 
But yes. tonight I'm going to be in Orange, Virginia, and they're going to have a massive uh, meet and greet type of a thing with a dinner and so on. The Borgias um, are uh, residents of Orange and, and very strong supporters of ours. They're going to be there and they're setting up this magnificent event. Um, I'll speak and there'll be a couple of local candidates who are conservatives who will also join me in speaking and um, should be fun. They're yeah. going to have a great dinner and a lot of people. I think there's something like 100 people. Nice. Uh, nice. Now, the, uh, the, the, the talking points, as we've talked about, we have talking points every week, but we just kind of riff on it, all the principles of liberty that we uh, just I love to not only discuss, but live and, and try to rekindle that desire to live in freedom. And it's been lost on, on a number of generations. Now we've kind of got lazy, uh, on, you know, what it takes to remain free, a free people. And we even talk about it in terms of economics. And there's an interesting story here. Maybe we can open with this. Uh, let's see. It says, uh, historic Supreme court could imperil the entire U S tax code. Now, this is, it seems to me about the ability to take money from a family that wants to pass that down or property or a farm down to the next generation. You know, that idea of a death tax. And, you know, there, there is some argument historically about, hey, how do we stop, uh, let's say, the monarchs, those that have this power and never relinquish it. They have this money, they never relinquish it. But to do it artificially, as opposed to having a free enterprise system where we can elevate ourselves economically in freedom, which we don't totally have here in America right now, uh, I wanted to ask you about this case, if you know a little bit about it. what is it? Is it an overstatement to say imperiling the tax code? That might be a good thing, by the way. Um, it's the Moore case and it's before the Supreme Court and it really asks a very important question, which is when uh, will the, uh, the Supreme Court uh, decide uh, you receive income? Because this is under the Foreign uh, um, uh, Tax Act, which years, a couple years ago, I think it was 2017, um, enabled the federal government to reach uh, earnings that were actually not received, mm. uh, but were not nevertheless attributed to corporations and to, uh, shareholders overseas. Um, and, and yet they were part of some American, uh, uh, corporation or headed by Americans. So this thing, uh, enabled Americans to be taxed for money that they did not necessarily receive. <laughs> that's so, we're just that's a full stop right there. You didn't receive the money, and we're going to tax you on that. It, that to me doesn't seem to equate to any system that makes any sense in math or fairness or whatever you want to use uh, to describe it. So prior to that time, uh, say you were in a you had uh, shares in a foreign corporation, and you did not actually physically receive the money. Mm -hmm. uh, let's say it was in you know. Uh, uh, holdings that were outside the United States. And not until you actually received the income yourself um, inside the United States or to you personally, mm -hmm. was it then attributed to you and for tax purposes. But they changed that because the people had these foreign investments, they were holding money offshore. And remember that whole thing several years ago where there was a whole controversy about whether uh, people with, with money offshore should be taxed if they're American citizens. And then they made them report that, remember? Mm -hmm. And then they, then they taxed them on it, even if they hadn't taken it into 
their custody uh, in America. Was this the, now, in the article here? It says the 2017 Tax Cut and Jobs Act. That's it. That's yeah. it. Okay. So uh, now the, the constitutionality of that act, but more importantly, of taxation in general in instances where uh, there aren't actual receipts is an issue. And um, it would be an enormous uh, move if the Supreme Court were to hold that whole regime, which covers many, many areas of taxation, unconstitutional um, because it, it or inconsistent with the statute because it did not um, did not actually uh, tax money that was received. Mm. So it would it would really do a number on the tax code if, if they were to hold that. But that would be the most sincere um, read, I think, uh, uh, of the uh, of, of, of the law. Um, having said that, they probably won't do it, but we'll, we'll see because it's such a momentous, would have such a momentous effect. Um, there would be wailing and gnashing of teeth in all government quarters. Well, if they were uh, call, called into the, the ability to, to just tax uh, wantonly at this point and raise funds, if, as you know, even without quote unquote taxation officially, they continue to print money, which is a tax on, you know, basically, yeah, their ability, I, I mean, it is. I don't like it at all. I, I'm in favor of just a flat tax. I think the fairest, most equitable tax is a flat tax. I would put it at 10%. Um, I believe uh, um, uh, uh, Senator Cruz uh, has advocated a 10% flat tax. I think 10% flat tax, regardless of your income, is probably the fairest way to go and uh, is more than enough for a, a good government to function. We tax more than that presently, so it would be a reduction in, in receipts. It actually might, on balance, increase receipts because people who are not paying taxes presently might pay the 10% rather than uh, remain in an illegal status. But nonetheless, uh, it's a fair tax. The progressive income tax is really a very uh, wicked tax. Uh, it's a key blank of what? The Communist Manifesto. Right. That's, that's like, hello, why did it we ever adopt something like that? It discourages productivity. And and uh, a a sales tax is very regressive. It punishes people uh, at the lowest end of the economic ladder the most. The fairest tax, I think, is a flat tax and put it at 10%. You could start the income ladder at a certain level, you know, maybe it's $50,000 a year. And then below that you don't tax at all. Uh, but what about the, the, the constitutional historical aspect of taxation, impost excise tariffs, right? And that, that was pretty good for a long time until the, uh, the federal reserve uh, came into being in 1913. And of course, 16th amendment, which has got a lot of controversy surrounding it, but still the idea of a free people being taxed on their labor, their ability to do work, which arguably, if you talk about profit or gain severed from capital, if you work for a living, right, you earn money based on the time and energy and effort and talent that you have, is that not a, a wash? You know, I think spiritually all, speaking, all, it would all, be. all taxation is evil. Yeah. I mean, taxation of any kind is disruptive, evil. However, um, we have a government that needs to be fed and the real issue is can we shrink it as much as possible so that parasite is as uh harmless as it possibly can be Thank you. Yeah. And can we can we can we put a limit on the amount that government taxes right now um many people who are 
doing fairly well, but are clearly still in the middle class or paying upwards of 35 to 50% uh, combined federal and state uh, income taxes. And not including the inflation tax, which is- and our, not including yeah. inflation yeah. tax. So that's brutal. That is, yeah. a, that is a very heavy burden and of course, all this massive government spending is placing a greater burden on people, as is the national debt, $33 trillion. It's insane. So we need dramatic reductions in mm -hmm. spending. We need a reduction in the size and scope of the government. But we also need tax relief. And I think the first step in doing that is to get rid of the progressive income tax. Don't do something foolhardy like creating a national sales tax which would enter the government into a whole new zone of taxation. And I don't, I don't, I, it, once you open the door to something like that, it's just, it's going to be brutal. Yeah. Go back again to the constitution. And uh, we, we seem to do fine until we got into this debt kind of concept of fractional reserve banking. Then uh, I think that uh, there were in the progressive era and you've written about extensively, a lot of ideas coming from Marx and Engels that were adopted in our country. And I think it, it's somewhat immoral or amoral to tax a man's labor as opposed to some other way. Again, they right. set up constitutionally before, long before that, before they began to adopt these concepts that seem to be, you know, anathema to freedom. You know, and I know we have to uh, provide some level of funding for a government. But again, was it not enough? Is it not possible to be enough to go back to those original ways that uh, the U.S. Constitution provided for raising funds for the U.S. government? Uh, the original ways were great. Uh, we now have a massive military. Uh, we have an enormous uh, expense associated with border security, which is not being realized. We have to expend that money for border security and are not. Uh, but to make a long story short, mm -hmm. it is a priority for the sake of the economy to grow the economy at all. Yeah. So got to cut taxes substantially. And so the method is, is important. Do you, do you use this broken system of a progressive income tax and just reduce the top rates? That's what we did in the Reagan era. That's what we call gaining the ground by inches, right? Reducing right. it until we can come up with a better system. But I, that I do think if we can get a flat tax passed, I think that would be the better way to go. A flat tax, create a principle that no one is taxed more than 10% of their income. And uh, unlike a progressive income tax, where the more you work, the more you earn, the uh, harder your burden is and so on, that uh, that's insane. You don't want to mm. dis discourage people from working. You don't want to put a premium on free time uh, mm -hmm. for that. You want to have them work as much as they want and to encourage them to be innovative. And a flat tax gives them the security and assurance that the tax is not going to exceed a set figure. And we don't, I don't think it's wise to use a progressive flat tax, like three taxes or whatever, just one, 10% across the board, and don't even start it until someone earns over $50,000. Sure, a have a government live within its means by uh, any means necessary. That means force to, to stop them from this insanity. Ultimately, ultimately, we should always be trying to get rid of as much taxation as we can. So this gets back to sort of a seesaw where... You're going to cut government, keep cutting government, government programs. We should abolish the Department of Education, abolish the Department of Energy, abolish the, the Commerce Department, get rid of the Federal Trade Commission, uh, get rid of the Consumer Product Safety Commission, get rid of the uh, National Endowment for the Arts. I mean, that can all be done privately. 
mm -hmm. get rid of our, all of our support for public television and so forth. That can all be done privately these days. Private funds are actually providing the bulk of the funding for these institutions. So I think what we ought to do is get government out of every sector where it is possible and uh, open it up to free enterprise and to allowing business opportunities and uh, create a, a flourishing free market that will increase the amount of wealth, increase the GDP, and enable us to afford these weapon systems that we're going to need to defend ourselves against China and against uh, all of the terrorist threats to come in the future. And um, if we do that, I think we'll prosper and this will look, the country will look more like it did uh, during the Trump years economically, and it'll rapidly even exceed that if we do everything that I'm talking about. What about Biden now asking for another $10 billion north of that uh, for Ukraine aid? Like, let's throw money away. Just throw it away. Burn it, right? The American it's people don't right. need it. Uh, uh, we, we, have, we have given the Ukraine over $110 billion already. He wants to throw in another $10 billion. This is an endless pit. This is not something that is in our strategic or uh, uh, self-interest here. We are giving money willy-nilly and, and, and equipment willy-nilly to them without accountability. And the solution to this problem is on the supply side with Russia. That is to say, cutting off their supply of funds from mm -hmm. Europe uh, by installing liquefied natural gas depots in Europe and having energy independence in the United States so that we can actually get our oil and gas over there in place of Russian oil and gas and make that a number one priority. You do that, you're going to cut off a substantial amount of their income. China will have to subsidize them more heavily. And if Europe, if the countries that are closest to the Ukraine want to uh, finance the war, go for it. But we have big problems here at home. Mm -hmm. We have to focus on those things first. We don't have a secure border ourselves. Right. We have a massive amount of crime and uh, drugs, fentanyl pouring through 110,000 or more deaths of fentanyl deaths a year. Uh, until we get our own act together, that money needs to be expended here. We need to build a border wall. We need to ensure that there's safe borders. And we need to interdict the cartels to make sure they aren't dumping all this drugs and sex trafficking and so forth into this country. So if we don't make that a priority and instead say, oh, no, we've got to endlessly supply money to the Ukraine. Uh, you know, we're not going to be better off because of that. Not one iota. We're going to have more crime, more of these same problems continuing because we're not spending it here at home. Yeah. When we look at, let's say, let's be strategic about foreign policy. Right. This is not an argument that Putin is a good guy. This anytime you actually talk rationally about that, they say, oh, you're a, a Putin lover. But let's look at a country like Russia. If we were in their shoes and say they had agreements with NATO and America that you, you you're not going to take these countries that are bordering us and make them part of NATO. You're like, OK, there's a buffer who if you're a Russian wouldn't want that buffer. You know, and, and I'm, again, this is not advocating a policy that is pro-Putin. It just acknowledges what are the self-interest of any country. And that's when you negotiate like Trump would, uh, understanding when you're going into negotiations, you got to know what are the, the key points of import or importance for those countries. And you could avoid the trillions of dollars of waste entering into engagements war that is not necessary if you were smarter about foreign policy. Well, 
look, I'm not in favor of giving Putin one inch, one opportunity to attack any NATO country. I want to have the biggest defense, the strongest uh, impediment to that. I would be putting more weapon systems in NATO countries facing Russia with a clear understanding that if you break uh, those those uh, barriers, you're in deep trouble, Putin. We're going to hold you to account. But when it comes to Ukraine, uh, look, the, the whole thing in the Ukraine is, is the fault of Joe Biden. Joe Biden's ridiculous retreat from Afghanistan led the Russians to understand it was a moment, an opportunity, where somebody who's a flake as president is not going to stand up to them if they enter into the Ukraine. All right, now we're down the road, 110 billion with no end in sight to this thing. And the idea is to spend tens of billions every six months uh, pumping that into the Ukraine. And I'm telling you, the corruption that's happened there, the amount of money, the lack of accountability, all of this, the whole uh, compromised president problem, it was Ukrainian oligarchs that supplied Biden uh, through Burisma, you know, gave, gave them 83,000 or so dollars uh, a month to Hunter and 5 million to the big guy and 5 million to Hunter because of the firing of Shokin. I mean, he's, Joe Biden's a compromised president. So it's not a surprise that we have no accountability no emphasis on accountability for the money being expended. But if you really want to fix this problem, you cut off the economic legs of Putin. You make America uh, wealth at his expense by having liquefied natural gas depots in Europe, getting back to energy independence here, and replacing Russia as the sole source of oil and gas to Europe outside of Russia. Uh, so, I mean, we end up with cutting off Russia. So if we do that, then, you know, 98% of Russia's income comes from oil and natural gas sales. So if you cut that out, you're really hurting him and hurting his ability to finance uh, that war effort. And so uh, scale back and then eliminate this, this funding for the military side and focus on that. That would make sense. But of course, Joe Biden has no sense. Mm -hmm. This would give us strategic leverage. This would then enable us to go to Putin and say, hey, look, we just put the screws on you. Now you've suffered hundreds of billions of dollars in loss. This will get worse unless you knock it off. And I don't I'm not I'm not in favor of allowing Putin to expand anywhere. Uh, no, he I, is I, I, interested. Well, He's a brutal dictator. He's interested in destroying the United States. Well, he wants to take over Europe if he could get away with it. I, I know yeah. that. that. So there's no disputing his intent. The question is strategically, right? What right. would be a better strategy? Dumping 10 trillion, billion, whatever dollars into Ukraine or establishing a strength and, a, you know, a barrier to his expansion without yeah. having to fire a shot. I mean, it's just. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we don't we don't need to uh, be the primary funding source for Ukraine. We don't need to do that. We put ourselves in that position. We didn't have to. Europe Europe should be stepping up more on their side because they're direct neighbors, right? And they have a keen interest in this. And they have trade relations that we don't have with the Ukraine, certain trade relations. And so as far, and also particularly because of their access to oil and natural gas too, through the Ukrainian pipelines, which are being cut off by Russia. So. They have an interest in it. They need to stand up. Uh, it's sort of like uh, 
the situation in in eastern in in eastern europe before uh there was any uh uh american involvement in world war ii mm -hmm. um do you jump in as soon as uh nazi germany enters the sudetenland or do you wait until america's most vital interests are affected such as the the war the battle of britain um, where, where do you do it? Or do you wait until there's a Pearl Harbor when you've actually been struck? We waited until Pearl Harbor. Um, the argument of, well, maybe we should have gone in earlier. Uh, maybe not, but certainly not when he went into the Sudetenland. That was not, that's horrible, mm -hmm. tremendously terrible. Yeah. We have a lot of sympathy for them, but it would have been a severe mistake given mm -hmm. our posture, our economic strength and our military strength at that time to have jumped into the Sudetenland and created an international conflict. So what we've done in this instance is kind of similar to that. We did not have to become so heavily involved in the Ukraine. Mm -hmm. We didn't have to give them $110 billion in military aid and financial aid and no accountability. Instead, we could have gone the economic route with Putin. And in fact, Putin probably wouldn't even be there if we had not uh, engaged in this cut and run out yeah, of Afghanistan. Exactly, yeah. I just think about strategically again, strategy, strategy, art of war, whatever it is you want to study about these things. And you look at after World War One, there was a great reluctance, as you might imagine, of the American people to enter an, another war. There was a lot of memory associated with the, the First World War. And so it took that strike on Pearl Harbor and, our, you know, there's a historical argument about it, it was allowed to happen. I mean, we don't have to get into that right now, but the idea is what would it take a strike on the homeland, so to speak, that suddenly now you're going to engage in that, uh, you know, big commitment, which, you know, we did win, if you will. But at the same time, uh, there were some fascinating things that occurred in terms of negotiation with Russia uh, after the defeat of Germany that separated East from West and communism was given its place until it collapsed of its own disaster. I mean, yeah, it, well, the economic disaster that it was eventually carving out the planet into East and West was a serious mistake. We never should have conceded anything. I mean, we, we had, we had the ability to prevent Germany from being split. We let it happen. Why do you uh, think that happened? I mean, what was going on behind the scenes historically that you're aware of that made that the decision? And so then there was this cold war for decades until it crumbled of its own economic weight, you know, uh, partly with, with Reagan's policy as well. Yeah, uh, there was a conscious decision to allow the Soviet Union to occupy and control certain parts of the world, right? I mean, the East-West divide in Germany was entirely unnecessary. You had people like George Patton saying, hey, look, this is the time to press Russia. You know, this is not the time to concede this. And we were in a position of tremendous strength. Uh, the rest of the world was largely decimated. I mean, the Battle of Stalingrad really did a number on Russia. And they were, uh, they, they had the numbers, no question about that, uh, but they were largely depleted in resources. They didn't have uh, ultimately didn't have the nuclear bomb, right, at that time. So we ended up with a position of primacy and we didn't use the leverage. It was a decision uh, made by a feeble-minded uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt in his age, aged years, you know. He was very, very ill at Potsdam. He was ill after that. Of course, he died. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, but 
that whole idea that we would have this relationship with Joseph Stalin and would uh, essentially concede control, we never should have done that. And so we ended up with the world being split apart. I mean, I remember uh, it, it, even, for example, in remote areas like Tripoli, Libya, for example, the United States had a very minor presence there. We had an embassy there and the Russians, even this is right at the end of World War II, the Russians were paying the, uh, the nomads who were native to the area uh, to attack the American embassy. They were paying them to do it. So they, they were working on all these nefarious efforts around the world. And it was our basic position to draw a line and say, you can't go past that and do that essentially around the world. That I think was a mistake. We should have made, made clear you can't enter into these areas, but we should have also made clear that we're not going to allow you to occupy and take over uh, these other areas like East Berlin. And we would have had the power advantage to right. do it. We could but have going, done. going back in the, the historically uncomfortable aspect of uh, the usurping of constitutional governance in this country. You know, we go back to uh, Eisenhower's speech on leaving the White House, talking about the dangers of the military-industrial complex, where it becomes, uh, you know, the power structure that secretly runs and controls and all, often manipulates world events to en enrich, if you will, those that are corrupt. And unfortunately, there are people, in, you know, our founding fathers knew that you give government unfettered power, there will be people that will engage that power in a corrupt manner. And so we can't well, ignore the that side of this. Kind of profiteering on war has mm -hmm. been a characteristic ever since there was a war. Uh, right. But in our revolutionary period, I mean, many of those uh, who were, um, you know, receiving funds from the government had conflicts of interest. Uh, they were advocating uh, for war because they could profit from it. So that was not something uh, that George Washington was inexperienced with. He appreciated those that there were those interests. And yet, of course, he brilliantly prevailed upon uh, uh, the world in a way that was unanticipated with the help of the French. But domestically, there were these people who were trying to profit all the time. Uh, even, even, for example, in, in the international sphere, I believe it, if I'm not mistaken, it was Silas Dean. I'm not sure exactly if I remember correctly the name of the person, but one guy was working uh, with the French and with us at the same time, lying to us, lying to the French, so he could profit uh, from his knowledge of little bits of information of use to each side. I mean, there's there's that sort of thing that was going on. People, yeah. who, and, and that uh, grows, you know, manifests itself into the military-industrial complex when you finally have these large corporate institutions that survive entirely off of federal funds coming for their development of war munitions of one kind or another. Now, we need, uh, in order to, to prevent that, you need competition. And we need to have a system where we look for the best systems and we test them and we determine their superiority and we constantly need innovation. What, you, what happens is that the Congress of the United States gets wedded to particular large uh, uh, entities, you know, and those entities then uh, receive favor, political favor, because they are also contributing to campaign funds. They're also, you know, basically in bed with a lot of these people. Same thing within the military. You got this top heavy military 
in some departments with uh, the officer corps. And so you, you weed them out slowly. Eventually they come down and they go into what? They go into lobbying roles for these, oftentimes for these uh, same companies. And then they lobby for contracts. They're constantly seeking more contracts. We have a bloated defense budget. Yeah. We have too much welfare going to large the, cor the corporations. Yeah. Yeah. What we need is a, a sophisticated, competitive, innovative system uh, in place that allows us to have the best uh, in, in, in every way without the massive cost. If you don't have competition, you have monopoly based pricing and that's when you spend, you know, $600 for a toilet or yeah, or a hammer or whatever. Yeah. I mean, we have terrible yeah. waste in the military in these foreign engagements. For example, we've had hundreds of millions of dollars be unaccounted for. They don't know where it is. They don't know where the money went. Uh, that's insane, you know? So we need to have a, we need to have the best, strongest military in the world to defend freedom, to defend this country against all of its enemies. But we also have to have a system of competitive, truly competitive uh, bidding. And we need to get as much as possible insulation from politics until the plate is full, rather than having them determine what's gonna be available they should be on the backside waiting until there's been competitive bidding and all this sort of thing in a blinded system where you're testing the best equipment and determining what works uh, for our military best. And then once those items have been selected, you unveil which corporations have produced it. Then you throw that plate before the Congress critters mm -hmm. and then they can vote on approving it. I think that would be a far better system than what we have now, which is just lobbying from the biggest defense contractors. They always get the contracts. They always get the big bucks. And this military industrial complex is really, you know, and you know, the, the only group, the only group lobbying, the only group lobbying more with more money thrown at our Congress critters, et cetera, the medical industrial complex, the pharmaceutical one. So we have a system same thing, of same things, you know, uh, absence yeah. of competition, mm -hmm. absence of innovation, biggest uh, uh, medical, uh, you know, pharmaceutical companies in the world, determining all the shots, determining what happens. Um, it's the same type of corruption and abuse of power. And it, competition really works. Competition mm -hmm. is just the best at the least cost. How would it play out in terms up. of uh, medicine and health? I mean, I, I think if we look at the three years of COVID or so, we would say if they hadn't shut down the innovation of doctors, that were treating successfully people with COVID, uh, there would, well, of course, it, it, there would not have been an emergency use authorization mRNA injection, which is now clearly the cause of the majority of the death and damage and destruction and injury that's coming out every day around the country, around the world, in fact. And I think we talk about competition and freedom. We would have avoided what we're seeing today had there been freedom in response, medical and non-medical response, that uh, precluded, again, an emergency use authorization for a shot that was everything to them. Again, we come back to the corporate welfare of the pharmaceutical industry that made billions, 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 you know, go to the T word soon. And uh, I just want people to, to see that freedom would have been superior in every case as opposed to the centralized planning, the bureaucracy, the shutting down of the First Amendment. 
because there was a lot of discussion from people that were being banned and deplatformed that had success in treating COVID, for instance. So I, I come back to that freedom principle where it's it's sold as the great danger, yet it is the great option for moving forward without unnecessary decay, death, degeneration, all of that that we witnessed. I mean, imagine instead of government censorship of all innovation in this area, mm -hmm. government censorship of any criticism about the vaccine, government censorship of any attempt to get uh, early treatments like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. Instead of that, if instead of that type of top-down government centralized censorship and control approach, let's say instead of that whole thing, we had this, a wide open, robust debate in all of the medical journals about what to do with COVID, what was working, what was not by treat treating patients and uh, by physicians, individual enc encouraging to the maximum extent possible innovation and early treatment and open discussion about the vaccine, criticisms of it. You know what would have happened? We would have had a far different environment. Mm -hmm. We would have had patients being able to be treated with all kinds of alternatives, probably, and I think I can bet on this, mm -hmm. that there would have been far fewer deaths because oh, they were treating absolutely. the symptomology yeah. and would have been treating it with all kinds of approaches instead of just a one size, throw you on a ventilator, see you later, mm -hmm. no one's gonna be able to see you. And oh, by the way, you're tough luck because you weren't vaccinated. And then the vaccine not working, and then the vaccine not preventing you from passing the disease on to other people. Mm -hmm. It was a big hoax. It was a big lie. Yeah. And if we had this innovative approach, we would have learned so much more. We would have advanced beyond the vaccine. We would have found out a better way and you know what? In those states that were more open like this, fewer people died, like like mm -hmm. Florida. Yeah. Florida was more open, right? They were they were more open to the idea of early treatment. They were more open to the idea of discussion and debate about this. If we had made this nationwide, we would have saved a lot more. Mm -hmm. If we allowed more free discussion, we would know a lot more about China, for example. Yeah. About the weaponization of the virus. Well, and and, and Anthony Fauci would be indicted. Uh, uh, for criminal conspiracy and many other things that he did. And Rand Paul submitted that to the DOJ. They did nothing. Now he's gone, I think, to the district in D.C. or something. I, I don't see that much will happen because they protect their own. Uh, but this is where we have a, a dangerous oligarchy, as yep. you've pointed out and written about extensively, that uh, rules extra constitutionally or unconstitutionally. It's become the culture of Washington, D.C., I don't know how, as I've said over the years, Jonathan, joking with you about it, how you've stomached being in that environment, going into the courts, meeting at FTC and FDA and, and battling them, because I just feel like anytime I go there, I feel like, oh, man, just coated in, in grime and, and corruption. Uh, and for you yeah, to take it's this. It's horrible. And that's exactly why I've been fighting it for 38 years. It's absolutely disgusting. Of course, no one said it was possible to beat the FDA in court like we did. They all said that there's no way you can beat the FTC. There's no way you can beat the DEA. There's no way you can beat the BLM. They all said that every step of the way. And people are always coming up and saying, hey, look, if you know it's good for you, you'll not do this anymore. If you know it's good for you, you're not going to uh, uh, 
make a constitutional challenge to the FDA or whatever. And I didn't listen to any of that because I believe in the Constitution. I believe in people's freedom. I believe in their rights. So I took them on. And what happened? Well, you know what? Even though 99% of the time they win, well, golly gee whiz, we won. We won not once. We won eight times against the FDA, won against other agencies too. And what does this tell you? They brought on their best and their brightest. The DOJ brought out the best they had. And we fought tooth and nail. And I had judges that were against us and that we had to convince. And a lot of them took a lot of persuasion. But you know what? If you fight tenaciously, you still can win. Now it's getting harder and harder. And hopefully these changes by the Supreme Court are gonna reverse that trend. But I'm telling you, this is what we have to do to save freedom. We have got mm. to fight because it's a fait accompli otherwise, isn't it? If you yeah. just say, oh, uh, there's nothing I can do. It's just going to be this way. You say that, they have that personality type. You're done. We talked about we that yesterday. We rise and fight against this yeah. or else we are done. There are a lot of people that have reached the point where like, we can't do anything. It's too big. It's like if you're giving up on freedom, uh, you know, this is something that, uh, I guess that's a choice you can make, but it's not one I'm willing to make. And I know it's not one you're willing to make. What can you do based on our discussion here? If you were, or when you are the U S Senator from Virginia, uh, displacing Tim Kaine, what can you do at the senatorial level to have the impact that you were not able to fully engage or, or make, even though you won against the oligarchy so many times more than just about anybody, particularly against FDA, et cetera. What can be done within Congress, within the Senate, that is different than what you could achieve in the courts? Well, the power of the purse is with the Congress of the United States, and you have this big platform. As a, as a single attorney, I would go in and fight case by case and would win more times than any other attorney against the FDA. Uh, you know, that's quite extraordinary. But in the Senate of the United States, I can draft the legislation to cut off the health claims regulations, to uh, privatize the system for drug reviews, to get the corruption out of the government, to uh, pass the, the Congressional Authorization and Accountability Act, that uh, the Congressional Responsibility and Accountability Act that I wrote for Ron Paul, which would prevent any regulation from any agency having the force or effect of law unless passed into law by Congress, basically neutering the administrative state, which re helps restore the separation of powers and ensures that uh, Article One, Section One of the Constitution means what it says, that only Congress can make the law. And then in addition to that, I mean, there's a whole host of things that you can do across the board from fixing the border situation to ensuring that the Department of Education is not forcing uh, girls' bathrooms and schools to be open to any biological male that declares him or herself female which is what's coming. There's a proposed rule to do that. Not only the schools, by the way, that would apply to every institution that receives federal funding. So every police department, hospital, uh, uh, school, uh, park. So women are not gonna be safe anymore. Women are gonna absolutely have to count on some nut job being in there who's male in their bathrooms, locker rooms, uh, and um, that whole thing, you know, in sports teams. I mean, that's just ruinous to women's sports, right? It's insane. It's saying to women, we will not protect you. We're going to invite people who want to go into the, the girls' room, bathroom, whatever, uh, who are male to have 
carte blanche. All I have to do is declare that they're female. All I have to do, if you're a pervert, you're out there waiting for this to happen, aren't you? You're saying, okay, well, I'm going to declare myself female. That's how I get access to women and accost them and so forth. This is coming. So it's this platform in the Senate that enables me to introduce legislation and then campaign across the country for passage of the legislation and do it vigorously so that we can get constituents then to rise up and overcome this. I learned from beating the federal government over and over again when everybody said it was impossible, mm-hmm. when everybody said there's no way, anymore that you can ever do this. They told me, they said, pack it in, you know, forget it. You're not going to be able to win. Mm-hmm. I, in fact, they even told me you're going to be a pariah. You're going to be hated. You're going to have no clients, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, listen, I don't care because it's a violation of the Constitution. And it's violating people's rights. So then I took them on and I beat them. Well, I'll tell you what. If you're a proven winner, that's the person to bet on. That person is more apt to win in any other circumstance. Do you do you go for a proven loser? <laughs> do you go for people who lose? Who, do, who really have never had a win? Mm-hmm. No. So I'm trying to tell people in Virginia, hey, you know what? I'm a proven winner. I went up against the odds. Everyone said there was no way I won in those circumstances. And the reason for that is simple. The reason is you got to be sophisticated. got to know what you're doing. You got to understand the enemy very, very well. And I understand the deep state probably better than anybody in the United States. And then the third thing is, you have to strategically pursue this and you have to pursue it with vigor. And if you do it, you know, notice this bill I wrote. So the, the Congressional Responsibility and Accountability Act that Ron Paul introduced. Mm-hmm. I wanted to shut down the administrative state. Well, did I say, oh, go after each agency, defund them and eliminate them? I'd love that, but it's not politically possible and it's not the smartest strategic move. Why? Because the Constitution has Article One, Section One, which says that only Congress can make the law. So the Constitution is your salvation here. All you need to do is argue if only the Congress can make the law, and they're the elected representatives of the people, then what we need to do is prevent the administrative state from making the law. They can propose changes, but they can't make them. So then suddenly you've got an administrative state that's whole purpose is lobbying Congress to pass bills. But you, the American people, get to decide whether or not your representative is going to stay in power if he goes along with that nonsense. Mm-hmm. So that shifts the that's dynamic. Different. That's the power. Yeah, that's it's so brilliant in terms of, again, we talk strategy here about how you can go into the Senate and have an impact no one else has had thus far in terms of reining in the bureaucratic state. Like the border situation, Robert. Mm-hmm. So look, there are all these people hyperventilating about the border and almost all the candidates, Republican, even some conservative Democrats are saying, oh, what we need is more money for Homeland Security. We need more Homeland Security, you know, border patrol and uh, activity. You know what? That system is corrupt. That system has been totally ruined by Alejandro Mayorkas and Joe Biden. And that's why we need to leapfrog with the the block grants to have uh, state police and, and National Guard. But the real thing, the real big solution that I got for this one is another clever move. And that clever move will have dramatic and profound effects. And what is it? That clever move is to 
deny anyone the right to become an American citizen, deny them the right to become an American citizen if they enter the United States and seek asylum. Instead, I'm going to, with the legislative amendments I'm gonna put into the Immigration Act, we are going to require every person who seeks asylum to go to the U.S. Embassy in their country of origin or an adjacent country, U.S. Embassy, mm-hmm. but not in the United States, and apply there and have their hearings there. So that they, and if they dare come into the United States illegally in the first instance, saying they want asylum, then they will be permanently prohibited from becoming an American citizen. What will that do? That'll mean there'll be a huge reduction in people coming to the border. And they'll all be going to the United States embassies to seek uh, asylum, and they'll have to prove asylum before they are admitted into the United States. That would solve this problem by and large, not completely. That's why I have the border, you know, the block grants to the border states. They have the greatest interest in defending their own citizens Mm -hmm. from all the crime and influx of everything, but that'll also protect the whole country. And then finish and way more efficient use of uh, uh, the economics of scale than just oh, yeah. funding oh, yeah. the, the DHS. I mean, that that's just an absolute disaster. Uh, brilliant. Uh, Jonathan, again, very exciting to hear what you're saying specific to, to that, because, I, again, in 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 putting people into office by the vote, particularly in Virginia with the running for the U.S. Senate, although all of y'all around the United States that listen to this show can support Jonathan Emore because the impact that he'll have in the U.S. Senate will be very beneficial to all of us in all the, the various states, wherever we are. Uh, so you can support him by going to emord4va.com. And there'll, there'll be events we'll be announcing as well out of uh, Virginia where you can do fundraisers around the country. We've done a few earlier on. And I want to pe- people to stay stay in touch with that. If you haven't signed up to support over at emord4va.com, please do so. So you're getting a, a better insight into what can be done here. Uh, I have uh, another question of one of the stories we're covering. And this, I, I had some people that say, because um, we did this little contest to win the apricots from my uh, garden. Uh, so I say, tell us why you listen to the Robert Bell show, right? And so, some people said, I'm just tired of hearing about Trump. And I said, well, we rarely ever talk about Trump in reality. Even on this show, we do some, but it isn't because it's Trump. It's because the, I think the constitutional principles at stake and Trump happens to be at the middle of some of these controversies. And I think it's important to discuss it. And, and so, for instance, here's one. Uh, it says Trump says a protective order would violate his First Amendment rights. He says, I will talk. The order would prevent Trump from disclosing certain government evidence in the case examining efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Now, I want to step back just for a moment and say I don't care if Trump was a Democrat, Republican or if it was somebody else not named Trump. In this situation, the government is saying you can't speak. I want to ask your perspective on what this rule would be if they're trying to issue this so-called protective order to not reveal or talk about things. Look, they're in unprecedented territory. They're going after a candidate for president of the United States, a candidate who is the leader of the Republican Party based on the, the popularity so far. And the reality is he's also a former president. And in addition to that, they brought the flimsiest case possible against him that would not by any stretch of the imagination be acceptable to any reasonable judge. And they've done it not once, but multiple times. Mm-hmm. So he needs to be able to speak. Look, this is this is a dire matter of national significance. The interest in hearing from Trump, from President Trump, 
vastly outweighs any consideration about limiting access to information. Why? Because all the information is germane to the issue they have brought publicly, which is that he's violated these conspiracy charges and these obstruction charges, which is an absolute pile of rubbish. And so this needs to be a public trial. This needs to be open so that we can understand it. Now, if in an individual case, there is specific information that on balance, that specific piece of information would either cause someone to be the subject of violence or would reveal their status as an agent overseas or whatever, that can be dealt with individually. But the whole case, to put a gag order on President Trump, nonsense. He's a candidate for President of the United States. They have made this uh, a matter to try to prevent him from running for president, to incarcerate him. All right, that's outrageous. And that needs to be the subject of national debate. They have entered into the zone of the most important issues, constitutional and otherwise, related to the upcoming election. An informed electorate is essential to making the right choice. If you interfere as the judiciary in that process by having an overbroad gag order, you violate our rights, our rights to receive information as prospective voters, as citizens. We need to have a check on government abuse, even in the context of the judiciary. They are abusing their power when, by going after President Trump. They don't have the foundation, in fact, for this. This is patently political. This is a weaponization of the Department of Justice against Biden's opponents. This is totalitarian tactic. Mm -hmm. So let's hear it all. Let's get it all out there. Let the American people see it for what it is. Yeah. And they're trying to hide this. This is Jack Smith's uh, MO, by the way. Mm -hmm. This is, He is not a good guy, okay? You want to talk about a prosecutor who does something right? You're not talking about Jack Smith. His history goes all the way back to Governor McDonald uh, in Virginia, where he destroyed his political life and personal life based on a gross e exaggeration of the meaning of official activities within the statute there in issue. Wow. And he's doing the same thing here. He's, he's taking each of these statutes. They were never intended to apply in any context like this at all. He's uh, forcing them to apply here with no presidential foundation. And that is fraud. You know what that is? That is unethical conduct. And yet he's allowed to do this and he's not being, you know, he's got the good fortune of a judge who is, is, is a partisan who's already made clear that, that, you know, the opposition to President Trump, mm -hmm. that person should recuse himself or herself, excuse me. And this matter ought to be reassigned to another judge. It also ought to be a different venue. They have it in the District of Columbia. There's no way he's going to get a fair, a fair hearing there. Yeah. So the question is, uh, moving forward, is there a, a, an ability to basically end the charade? I mean, this is something that is so... Again, take out Trump out of the equation and say whoever it was, a former president of any kind, suppression of speech. Since when are the, the censor people the good guys, the people that are censoring the good guys? Nothing good comes out of censorship. If you have to do it, 
For example, the Supreme Court has very narrowly viewed uh, instances of national security. Uh, you know, the Pentagon Papers case, they allowed the Pentagon Papers out. It would essentially require troop movements or other uh, uh, human intelligence that if in the hands of the enemy would enable the enemy to take action that would interfere fundamentally with the, the mission of the government or in the lives of agents of the government. That's not happening here. This deals with the election. I mean, this deals with, excuse me, the January 6th riot. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, are you, you can't be serious about that, uh, that there's some profound national security reason or otherwise that this information should not be public rubbish. This is the classic kind of a trial that needs to be public. Mm-hmm. It's public because we need to put a check on the abuses in the judiciary. We need to not only check instances of abuse because we have idiots like Joe Biden in the White House, we have one of the most corrupt presidents in the history of the world running, running the greatest nation on earth and destroying our freedom. But we also need to have a check on all the actors who are involved here, who are in various positions and are participating and encouraging this abusive prosecution mm-hmm. without a foundation in fact to justify the application of the law. All right. Finally, uh, and we only have a couple of minutes here, but I have to hit this because I'm wearing my one of my favorite shirts defending the Second Amendment. The Ninth Circuit panel says knives are arms protected by the Second Amendment. This is an interesting yeah, case. True. I mean, that's not a surprise. That's kind of really, for those of us who study the Revolutionary War and the history of the United States, the early founding period, uh, you know, the riflemen oftentimes carried knives. People don't re- maybe realize that. And they understood them to be arms, and so did everybody else. If it was used in combat, if it was a vehicle for self-defense and it was employed for that purpose or for offense, mm-hmm. um, it is a it is is clearly an arm within the meaning of the founding fathers. So, yeah, the riflemen in the Revolutionary War used to carry uh, both knives and tomahawks because they couldn't um, use bayonets as riflemen. So they were shooting from a distance, sometimes up in the trees, shooting down at the redcoats. But... Uh, very famous Pennsylvania rifleman who did that. But they would regularly carry a knife because they have to go in strange places and they really could not uh, have a broadsword clinking along when you climb up a tree or whatever. So you have a knife, you have a tomahawk, and then you have your rifle. And so uh, that was clearly understood to be an arm in the founding at the time of the nice. founding. So check out these articles in the show notes today at robertscottbell.com. Check out Jonathan E. Moore at emord4va.com. Real quick, uh, Williamsburg, Virginia, the historic Williamsburg. There's an event Wednesday, August 23rd at Sal's by Victor. Come and meet Jonathan E. Mord uh, at that event. I wish I could be there with you guys, but that will be historic just being there with you. Anyway, Jonathan, God bless you. I appreciate you. Love to your whole family. Love to you and yours, Robert. And remember, on the Robert Scott Bell Show, the power to heal is yours. Back after this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, cranking it up for health, freedom, and healing liberty here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Thank you for being on board. Thank you to Jonathan Ebord for uh, bringing it, as he always does here, on the Sacred Fire of Liberty edition of the Robert Scott Bell Show. We had a bunch more. I think Super Don previewed it really well to open the show today. Thank you, Super Don. 
uh, all the stories we might be able to hit. And if we miss them, you, you'll find them in the show notes at robertscatbell.com, where you'll also find links to the upcoming events this very weekend, right after the show, heading out to Des Moines, Iowa, with G. Edward Griffin and the Red Pill Expo. You still have time to get your tickets and or streaming tickets if you can't make it to be with us at that event. Uh, you can watch it online from the comfort of your own home. Either way, support G. Edward Griffin and all the wonderful work he's done for many, many decades. Yeah, longer than even me. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's not hard on, on some level, even though some people are in awe of like, you've been you've been doing this for 24 years? You've been a homeopath for almost 30 years? Yeah, yeah. We, it's like, and then the gray comes out in the beard and you go, oh, I see it now. I got it. But, uh, you know, pumping up the copper, so I might be reversing it a little bit at a time here. So, uh, once again, thanks for uh, being here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Uh, first up this hour, wow. You want to talk about th three words, conflicts of interest, conflicts of interest, right? You've heard that. Are there any conflicts of interest? And as it comes to the delivery of medicine in America, conflicts abound in terms of government and medicine, regulators, regulatory capture, revolving door between the regulators and the industry they're supposed to regulate, conflicts of interest. If you behave really well when you're working in government, you will be rewarded when you leave government and get a six or seven figure salary. And some of you, but the higher ups, especially who basically run these agencies, they're not elected. They're not elected bureaucrats. We've talked extensively over the years about that with Jonathan E. Mord. How about conflicts within uh, medicine? I said medicine and state, medicine and government. How about medicine and media? Especially since they began uh, allowing direct to consumer advertising in the, broad, in the broadcast media, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90% of advertising revenue, depending on the show, most of it in the news and the 24-hour news cycle, but the, a lot of the morning shows and things, even a lot of sporting events, are pharmaceutical advertising. And because of that amount of money flooding in to support something like ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, you name the uh, conglomerate, which where you track back, they're all owned what, by BlackRock, et cetera. You see the connections. But even take that out of the equation, you say, all right, the profitability of those age industry, in that industry, and those individual companies or corporations within it depends on what? Selling advertising. And if 50, 60, 70, or 80 or more percent of your revenue comes in from an industry, you can dar be darn sure that they're going to proselytize on your behalf. Even when they report the news, it's going to be primarily all good news. And even when it's bad news, it'll be a misdirection to give you pause if you ever started making links between drugs and the third leading cause of death in America or injectables and the third leading cause of death in America or first or second, depending on how you, you run the numbers based on the causation connection between many chronic ailments and illnesses, much less acute responses to drug toxicity uh, and, again, the drug therapies that are given. So, okay, we got medicine and state, we got medicine and media, and now dare I go to the most controversial of the three, medicine and church. Now, this became more apparent than ever during the COVID crazy years we've just been through, 
as many church leaders, synagogue leaders, even mosque leaders, various, even, you know, not the big three, if you want to call it, I don't know, in numbers, Judaism is very small, but in terms of worldwide knowledge, you know, you go to Buddhism, Hinduism, all kinds of things. I mean, there were even people like uh, uh, Eastern religion type gurus promoting injections of mRNA variety during the COVID time. Like, and there were other uh, Christian preachers who would say, what would Jesus do? Oh, Jesus would be all in favor of this, right? How did they get to that point where they remove themselves so thoroughly from their, uh, what we call spiritual text, that they would begin to adapt, adopt the dogma, the belief system of the Church of Pharmaceutical Mysticism, a false religion, if there ever was one. It's not even real good science when you come down to it and you realize most of the science conducted is done by those, what, companies that have an inherent conflict of interest because if they have positive results of the studies, they can sell it to the FDA, which is already owned and controlled, and then get it on the market and create, of course, within that marketplace, a monopoly on the treatment of, name it even within other drug categories until they go generic, then they have to compete with generics. But hey, what's the next blockbuster? And we can always keep the natural supplements out of the realm of competition because they're not allowed to say anything about disease, treatment, suppression, anything like that. So the, the deck is stacked against anybody who would dare to believe that God provided all of the medicine of creation within the natural world as opposed to what? Man's arrogance, ignorance and arrogance combine to synthesize things from, yes, nature and alter them in a way that makes them toxic poisons that, yes, can measurably suppress symptoms of the body or measurably force things to happen in the body, but always at a high cost of what they call side effects, which you learned here, if you haven't learned it yet, are direct effects of the drug toxicity, but not marketable. Until they are. And if they are marketable, they'll switch the, the side effect to a direct effect and they'll relegate the original direct effect as a side effect. That's how scientific this is. You heard Marcus Ellis on a couple of days ago. He was great. Fired up, Marcus was. And he talked about the viatical settlements, anybody needing help to pay for medical bills uh, that you can sell your life insurance and he can help you do that. But go back a couple of days and you can see in the archives, the Robert Scott Bell show, some of these things that we talk about. So I, I raise these things. And by the way, if you have not, if you're new to the Robert Scott Bell Show, you might not have seen the documentary film, Utah Safe and Effective. Utah Safe and Effective, question mark. And that's available for free. If you go to utahsafeandeffective.org, you can watch it, you can share it. It is illustrative of what we went through in COVID, of all of these conflicts of interest, the lack of scientific controls or the purposeful manipulation of scientific results that aren't scientific anymore. And then the conflicts of interest between those aforementioned uh, organ organizations, if you will. There's more to it than that, but conflicts of interest. So this leads me in a long roundabout way to our opening story of hour two in The Defender. This is a very important article to be aware of what's happening here. This is by Suzanne Burdick, PhD. So many pitfalls, it said here. Feds push school-based health centers as critics sound alarm over lack of parental consent. In other words, they want to establish more and more medical centers, deliveries of pharmaceutical. Mm, I don't want to cuss. <laughs> Try not to. Toxic poisons, injections without parental knowledge or consent. 
Supporters of school-based health centers tout improved access to health care for the underserved. Again, always the claim. We're helping the poor because they're not being injected with toxic poisons enough. They're not having access to the toxic drugs of the Fear and Death Administration enough. We want to poison the poor people under the guise we want to help the poor people, right? We're from the government. We're here to help you. Not. Critics say rapidly expanding the centers would allow children to get, you know, the V word. And mental health counseling without parental consent. Uh, what's uh, the key word to understand when you hear mental health counseling? Yes, think psychiatric drugging your kids. No nutrition. Remember, they talked about nutrition. And if you talk about nutrition other than paying it lip service for preventing and reversing treating disease, yeah, you will be relegated to what did I call it? Hey, kiddo. A quack. You're a quack. And I said it the other day. I said, it's not the ducks that are killing you. It's the doctors. So if you if you want to quack like a duck, at least you're not harming somebody. All right, I'll, I'll put that aside for a moment. Georgia attorney uh, Nicole Johnson, co-director of Georgia Coalition for Vaccine Choice and consultant to the Children's Health Defense legal team, told the defender, and I quote, it's scary because these health centers sound really good. In some of the rural and poor communities especially, this is going to seem like a really good way for children to get this care. And while there may be some conveniences, there are so many concerns with allowing medical exams and treatments at school. Parents need to be involved in all medical decisions, and I fear that they are being left out of the equation. Is anybody here going to deny the fact that the leftists, collectivists, Marxists among us, whether they're considered Democrats or socialists or whatever, they are all for this because they don't think clearly about the end result of this. That it would result in little or no parental oversight, drugging children, putting them even on birth control, guiding them into transgender mutilation surgeries, injecting them with the V word that you know can injure or kill. That is not a false statement. I'm not saying it happens every time, but can it happen? And is a child under the age of majority capable? Is their brain developed enough, their cognition skills available enough to make an informed choice, a child that can't enter into a contract? Can they do that without a parent parent going, hey, wait a second here. Even if the parents may not do it as well as I would like them to do it, it's still a stopgap better than having the government, which again, three words, conflict of interest, are going to lead these children down the path of potentially deadly interventions, not needed, especially when they're raised organically and not injected. Like my kids at 23 and 18, never once having had to resort to an antibiotic. They're saying, well, well, this is primary care, mental health care, other health services and schools. It's awesome, especially those kids that are underserved. underserved." I'm like, dude, they want to assault everybody, especially the poor people now. And what would be the end result? Better health? No, chronic disease that could be managed even more so through these Medicare, Medicaid services that are single payer in a sense, in essence, even though it's not technically socialized medicine, in essence, an easy way to collect for big pharma. Because they are required to do shots, drugs, surgery, and only that. There will be no herbs. There will be no supplements. There will be no homeopathy in that. So downsides. Behavioral services leading to psychiatric medication. 
The report was written ex expressly. Look at this. Super Don, I don't know if you can find this, this paragraph, but I'm going to read it anyway. In this article, the report that, is, that it was this is based on out of Harvard University Center for Law, Health, and Policy. Guess who's funding it? I'll tell you in a moment. Again, conflicts of interest, anybody? This report was written expressly to, guess what? Address vaccine hesitancy. Holy tamole. You mean this is about the fact that if we can't get you parents on board, we'll just go directly to your kid and inject them? And they especially focus on implementing successful school-based HPV vaccination programs. Oh, wait a second. Isn't that made by Merck Gardasil? Is it possible that Gardasil, the maker of, uh, the maker of Gardasil Merck, had anything to do with this program? Oh, yeah. Look at the next paragraph. Merck, the maker of Gardasil HPV vaccine, is one of the, one of the funders of the school-based health alliance that we're talking about. Conflicts of interest, folks. It matters. Dude, we have the institutions corrupted by the industry that seeks to benefit, gain, and profit from a monopoly marketplace that is not really a marketplace of any kind except a mandated receptacle for pills and shots. And they want to integrate it in the name of protecting and helping poor people. So the people on the left, the bleeding heart liberals, and I don't say that necessarily in a bad way when I say the positive side is like, you really care, you want to help. Now, the idea of helping people is not drugging them out of existence, is not injecting them with experimental things, is not giving them a, 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 an injection like HPV shots that actually cause problems, more almost adverse events than anything since they brought, well, before, since before, they brought out the uh, mRNA injection technology. And Merck is funding it. Merck is going to benefit. Now, they're, they're, that's probably just one of many, but it's a significant moment, I, I would say, where I ask you to mature intellectually, sure, to understand the connectivity, the cause and effect relationship, and all that I discussed today from this article, but spiritually to recognize that if we perceive that government is the only legitimate deliverer of what we call health care, that we are operating at a very significant spiritual level of immaturity or immature level of spirituality. Let me say that. Whether you're Christian, Jew, Muslim, Buddhist, whatever, it doesn't matter. I'm talking to all of y'all. This isn't about what church you belong to. This is not it. It's about individually your, let's say, connectivity to the divine, however you choose to do it. Does God say, yes, government should be the delivery of all of your health needs? And Thomas Jefferson warned us if we ever rely upon the government to provide for us in that way, we would be in a sorry state of health, living under tyranny or a form of slavery. Maybe not as overt as the plantations of the Deep South in the 19th century, but slavery nonetheless. Slavery to a pharmaceutical, well, death cult. And in this case, we know pharmakia is the root word for sorcery. And I don't know how many of you Jews, Christians, and Muslims or others engage or support engaging in things like sorcery. So I hope you would consider to go deeper. And for those of you, if there are any of my friends that are on the political left, to be like Bobby Kennedy and recognize that in freedom, we can do much better 
In food, we could do much better as he's meeting with farmers talking about going organic agriculture, regenerative agriculture, not GMO, not chemically intensive agriculture, toxic poisons. These are things for which all Republicans and Democrats could align. And you could see an extraordinary benefit to the health of all Americans, including the poorest among us. But who would we put into the poorhouse relative to where they are today? The sorcerers. The sorcerers of Merck, GSK, Moderna, BioNTech, you name it. Yeah, they don't want to be any poorer than they are. The trillions that they have are not enough. They won't stop until they have you from birth to death. And that death to birth width is going to narrow the more you let them attack your children with their toxic poisons. So that's uh, my opening statement for hour two, Super Don. I don't know uh, if I have any listeners left after that. I'm sure I have offended everybody. That's your <clears throat> your o- opening statement. <laughs> are, are we in, in court? Well, I had Jonathan Emore on. Jonathan so I, Emore, I, I guess. resonate a little bit of legal, legal legalese. Or I tend to go lawful, not legal, but, you know. Pretty cool, huh? How about that? Conflicts of interest. The skeptics never seem to take those in, that into consideration. Well, they're all in on it. it they look at it differently, saying that's not a conflict of interest. I mean, yeah, you know the the pharmaceutical companies spend millions and millions of dollars of research and stuff like in order to come up with the you know the the cutting edge technology and in uh, medicine and advancements and stuff like that. So it just makes sense that the people that are the most knowledgeable about the topic are going to be the people that are going to be doing the work and, you know, and, and, funding and, the, uh, why the, the do schools. We ask, why do we ask in peer-reviewed journals, what are your conflicts of interest in relation to the study that you've just done? Who's funded it? Well, it's very. I think it's a very narrow view, right? It's a like conflict of interest. It has to be a direct thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, but... There's a lot of fuzzy gray area there that that, uh, they can squeak through. Once again, I have to say this so nobody sends hate mail to Super Don. He is not arguing that Merck is not corrupt in in benefiting by a government I love Merck. What are you talking about? Merck's my favorite. I'm trying to help you, buddy. Merck is awesome. You're digging yourself a hole you don't want to dig. Merck, go Merck. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know they're murking you that's not a good thing no i just yeah look it's it's not too, it's not too hard really to see how the other side works you know how they think and it's true you know i mean it's it, there's so many of these topics that we cover you know we could get outraged right yeah um like you were there with that opening story mm-hmm. but there's going to be a whole group of other people that are going to be like i don't know what you're talking about what are you so upset about I mean, this is good. You know, we need this. You know, the kids, you know, they, these, they're these so kids, underserved. And, they need and, to be uh, on psychiatric drugs. You're racist, Robert. You don't, want the, you don't want the minority children to live. You want them to die because I want the they don't have access to quality health care. Drugs and shots. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Reversal of reality is what they do. And they have made it so that a significant portion of our population, Super Don, really believe that having these medical delivery centers in schools is a good thing. And I'm here to tell you the third leading cause of death, having direct access to your children is not going to result in healthier well, children. Look at, look at, at what we have covered in the past when you've had these things like HPV shots, right? Mm-hmm. The schools were trying to do it. We've covered this before where, you know, the kids would come home and be like, hi mom. Yeah. Oh, why do Susie, why do you have a bandaid on your, on your arm. Well, what happened? You okay? Did you hurt yourself? So, oh no, that's just you know, because of the, the, the shot that I got from the nurse today. Mm-hmm. And the parents are like, what, what? 
What, what shot? What are you talking about? And they get on the phone, find out that their kid got an HPV shot while they were at school. What's going on with that? Big. I mean, caused all kinds of problems stuff. So, <clears throat> you know, I think what happened was whether it was on a on a on a a, 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 a organized national level or if it was just on a maybe a local level in the county or something like that. It's hard to t- hard to hard to say really. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they attempted to try and do that because somebody with enough power in the situation made it just an executive decision to say, oh, well, we'll just, we'll just, we'll just give them some shots. Right. Mm-hmm. And they got in a bunch of trouble. So this is a perfect way now for the pharmaceutical companies to go, okay, fine. You know, we tried to do it the other way. Uh, that didn't work out. So now we're going to put healthcare centers. Since when does a school have a healthcare center? I mean, what, what, what is this? <laughs> right. I mean, that just sounds crazy to me, but you know, if they do that, then uh, then then what are the parents? What are you, you going to do at that point, right? Yeah. I guess what? Then you're really going to have to consider homeschool or private school. So, well, separation of education and state, uh, and and the problem, of course, with the education and state combination is like who purchases the state so that it alters the curricula to teach the glory, for instance, of government and that which owns government. Again, back to big pharma, back to three words: conflicts of interest. Have I made it too simple for you? <laughs> I know. Well, Again, we'll, I'm, we'll I'm, see what happens. We'll see I'm what happens. I'm insulting people. I'm not Here's, intending to. No, That's not my intent. By the way, not. wasn't it the Dalai Lama that even got the shot on, on camera? The Dalai Lama? Is that the Dalai Dal- Lama's wife? Dalai Lama, whatever. Dalai Lama? Dalai Dalai Lama. Or is that his pet? Are you making fun of how I'm saying Dalai Lama? Does he have a pet llama? <laughs> Dalia, yeah, well, come here. Do you remember? Didn't that dude get a shot? In on t- and say, hey, everybody uh, I think so, yeah. yeah. So, again, it's not just the three big, you know, religions that most people uh, affiliate with. The last thing I remember about the Dalai Lama that was in the news was he made some boy kiss him. Or, no, what was it? It was some weird thing. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. With yeah, his tongue? Or, I mean, it was like, so, it was I was weird. like, yeah, what is my that? Or something. That was weird. What is, that is, yeah. I mean, as far as I go is kiss my grits. Yeah. Go Southern. That's a whole different thing. That's a nice way to say it. Yeah. I don't know if Florida's in the South. If you were in northern Florida, it's southern. If you're in southern Florida, it's northern. Or it's more than that now. People from all over the world settling. It could be Russian in Miami or South American. It's like a, it's a whole conglomeration of all over the world in South Florida. But if you're in northern Florida, it was typically more southern. Uh, what's happening in the south? What's happening in Florida right now? Weird stuff. You know what? Here's the thing, though. Stuff. Florida has a really bad reputation. It's like all the crazy stories of people doing crazy things, stuff like that. There. It always seems like yeah. it was Florida, you yeah. know? Some guy know. stripped naked, washing his car in the middle of the freeway, you know? I, it's like, okay, it must be Florida, right? I don't know if it's all that gator juice or something, but yeah. Some. Something's weird. Leprosy is back, apparently. Oh. Leprosy. Yay. Now, this uh, uh, unacceptable Jessica, our friend Jessica Rose, who I believe we've had on this show once or twice. Yep. Uh, she's got a great sub stack, and she's terrific. She says, the CDC has recently rung the alarm bell on leprosy, and no one would be able to convince me that they don't know exactly why leprosy has reared its ugly head recently. Now, let's start off with, because, uh, I mean, I've heard of leprosy. Mm-hmm. Leprosy is like one of those old, old, old-time, oh, you know, like Bible. biblical type yeah. of, of diseases, you know, mm-hmm. that people had, and, and they're they're like 
body parts would fall off and stuff. And yeah, and over time, if you don't address that infection, it can disfigure you, etc. Yeah, no leper colonies. Put, put a, yeah, that's what I was just gonna say. Yeah. They like find an island somewhere, and all the people with leprosy would would get go right. and live on but the there island. There would be many people that would be there voluntarily nursing them and not get leprosy. Right. Once again, law of the terrain versus germ theory. Now they reference Mycobacterium leprae, Mycobacterium lep lepromatosis as well, as they isolate and say, hey, these are the causes. But really, isn't the cause immune deficiency? Isn't the cause lack of health, lack of sanitation, sewage hygiene, all of those things in a massive way that you become vulnerable, susceptible? Could it be that there are very sick people coming across the border, ending up in Florida? Possibly. I'm not here to be a xenophobe and blame everybody that's coming across the border. They're the cause of this. I would say, and I think like Jessica Rose intimates here, because the CDC is blaming apparently armadillos. <laughs> yes, the armadillos did it. Uh, what about what about something that is resulted in demonstrable, significant immune challenge, immune deficiency? Right. Let's look at that. Could it be the effects of mRNA COVID nineteen injections reducing and destroying immune function? Compromising CD4 uh, plus T cells, destroying them. And suddenly giving rise to what Judy Mikovits calls vaccine-induced AIDS. VAIDS. Yeah, there won't be any mainstream media coverage of this in that way. It'll, you know, it'll be, they'll use it in the Hegelian dialectic way, and I kind of hinted at that. They'll say... It's you xenophobes on the right, you Republican, Trump-loving, whatevers. You hate people, therefore you're going to blame the immigrants. Now, again, it's possible an immigrant came in with immune deficiency, and I'm not saying it's not possible, but it belies the reality of general immune dysfunction that is being induced by, once again, the pharmaceutical industrial complex owning and controlling our government regulators and media and even the churches. Resulting in what? Immune destructive behaviors that are resulting in a, re a reprisal or reemergence of a biblical infection. Now, the good news is, of course, if you rely on antibiotics, you can, but silver is more than adequate and sufficient up to the task to address this issue. No question about it. If you're concerned about it at all, silver is an immunomodulatory agent. It also has a direct impact in terms of neutralizing bacterial proliferation, especially of a, in this case, what they call a pathogenic variety. So you can utilize the bioactive silver hydrosol topically and internally. You can do other immune enhancing things, but they say antibiotics can do this. Well, we know because they can eradicate bacteria until they, they can't. But then you now have weakened your immune system moving forward by destroying would, the gut would, microbiome. <clears throat> Wouldn't we be able to get a Robert Scott Bell Hall pass mm. uh, in, in a situation like this? Wouldn't this maybe fall into the category of a crisis? It's freaking leprosy, man. <laughs> I'd be like, well, you know, normally I don't take antibiotics, but, you know, I, no. I don't. I not want my. The answer my is a big fat no. Uh -uh. Fingers and, and no ears to fall off. RSB. No is it scarier than it's than 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 what it it uh, yes or is it's, it it's is it not excuse me is it not as scary yes. as the story goes correct yes okay. this is something that is not easy to acquire or to suffer from unless you have severely corrupted your immune system and it's like tuberculosis 
TB is a disease, an end-stage infectious disease in someone who is very weak and sick and toxic and deficient over many years, perhaps decades. In, in the case of children born into poverty and nutrition, malnutrition, you can see TB, but these are, you really have to be bad off. Even in America, with what I argue to be minerally deficient foods, it's, again, very rare that you would even succumb to the presence of and touching someone with leprosy. Okay. So, yes, it is overblown, but, again, the fear to, to lead you into antibiotics, that's real. The fear is real. Yeah. So okay. You can make it real. I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking of, like, the, st the stuff that we've seen over the years growing up on, like, TV and mm -hmm. stuff like that. You know, leprosy was one of those things you'd, like, put right up there with, like, Ebola or something. It was just... Yeah. not a good thing and it was but it's you know, so you could get a leprosy and people might not even know about it right sir sure yeah yeah just like anything okay it, it's the law of the terrain and yes you have natural options to address it there are homeopathics as well uh so i wanted to uh disabuse people of an irrational fear of something that they want to make uh maybe another uh, you know it'll be a day or two before guess what Biden announces that uh, it's a health emergency due to global warming. Climate well, they, I mean, they use words like endemic. Yeah. That's one of the things they, that I remember reading about this leprosy thing in mm -hmm. Florida, which it's it's a story that's been around for a little bit. Weeks, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. I remember it was a couple of weeks ago when I first saw it. And they were using the word endemic. Mm -hmm. Leprosy is now endemic. Yeah. It's in, just present. In Florida. Yeah. It's that present. sounds very similar to pandemic, right? So I could see why somebody not knowing or not noticing the difference, would mm -hmm. look at that and go, oh, mm -hmm. leprosy, there's a leprosy pandemic. But I don't know that they would, you know, the thing is, is there's not a leprosy vaccine. You think maybe they're working on that? Well, yeah, most vaccines are focused on what they call viral causation. Right? But there are some that address bacteria. So it's like, and why would they use leprosy for a pandemic? Because they're not going to be able to use a vaccine for it. Right? No, but I think, as I mentioned just moments ago, is the climate change reference to everything. Now, this what's is, the climate? How, how, how is the climate related to, to leprosy? Well, it's not necessarily, uh, but my point is that they will utilize it just as they have expanded everything is associated with climate change or caused by climate change. Mm. You've heard many, many things that they've tied together and like you're going, what? Right? The weirdest things they've said, this is due to climate change. And remember... I believe and perceive, and others do as well, but even if it's just me, that's okay, that the next emergency will not be Marburg or Ebola. It will be a climate emergency. You've seen, I mean, somebody asked, a reporter asked um, Biden about this the other day. Maybe it was yesterday. When are you going to, it was a Democrat, right? When are you going to declare a climate emergency and just do it? And he says, I already have. I'm like, you have? Well, is this like double secret probation from Animal House? Where is the, you know, even the executive order declaring an emergency due to climate change so you can shut down everybody in their house and make them turn off their air conditioning and stop them from heating their home in the winter? Certainly stop them from using light bulbs and get, make them use LED flickering bulbs that are not good for your health. Do you see where I'm going? That the idea is they're not as successful in frightening the vast majority the way they were under COVID because we've gone through this, we've seen it, but that's not to say we're not vulnerable, but the big vulnerability is to say climate change is the emergency. Well, and we got to lock you down. Again. You could probably come up with some indirect connections, right? I mean, if sure. you tried really hard, you could say that like climate change, for example, mm -hmm. I, I'm totally, I'm not making this up in my head. I'm reading this, but okay. I'm trying to impress you. Okay. Uh, 
So uh, let's say uh, climate change can lead to the displacement of communities due to extreme weather events, you know, like sea level rise. Yes, that's why Obama has a so, house in the water. Because of climate change, this can result in a population movement or resettlement, like migration or displacement, right? Mm-hmm. That would increase the spread of diseases like leprosy as people come from different areas into contact with each other and potentially expose each other to different pathogens. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't know. You know right? Listen, right? That's climate change, movement, right? Yeah, throughout history that's been the case. But again, the question is, what is the weakness? What is the associated weakness that the, the people carry with them wherever they go? And well, if it, but if, that, if, you could blame that on climate change too. Because climate change can exacerbate poverty in certain regions, which would then lead to like yes, poor sanitation, you're, poorer health care. You're which, making right? my point about the ability. Of course I am. I'm doing it on purpose, Robert right. Scott Bell. Okay. I didn't know if you're using that as a battering ram against what I'm saying. I'm, I, I am actually agreeing that that's what they're going to do. Make these loose connections that that could be arguable on some level, the definitive we have to stop this because it's definitely that. And it's, you know, much like the people that annoy you that say every time somebody has a heart attack, we know it's 100% the, the, the called injection, the vaccine. Yeah. I mean, in this case, we are seeing more and more stats pointing to it is likely that. And it's not out of the question to say it, it maybe even probably be that. But until you have an analysis, you can't say 100% definitively. Even if it's reasonable to go, yeah, it's likely connected. Now, with car, with uh, climate change, it is not likely connected, but they'll draw one unlikely connection and go, yep, it's definitive. Well, you see, the opposite, 100%. they're doing exactly what you say they shouldn't be doing. But if it works for them to lock us down and shut us down, they're going to do it. Yeah. All right, so we got this weekend, the Red Pill Expo. Y'all go to the Robert Scott Bell Show webpage, robertscottbell.com. There's a tab for upcoming events. As we are live on the air the 10th of August, uh, it's going to be, let's see, tomorrow, the 12th and 13th of August, Des Moines, Iowa, Red Pill Expo, going live. I'll be emceeing, I'll be speaking, and we'll have lots of awesome folks there. I'd love to see you there. And if you can't do it, get a ticket and stream it online. Support G. Edward Griffin and Red Pill University, and you will learn a lot. It'll be great. Hopefully, you'll be there, but if not, stream it from your home. That's coming up. Not long after that, September's around the corner, Labor Day weekend, 48th Annual Convention Center, can, uh, Cancer Convention, Cancer Control Society. We just had uh, uh, yesterday Frank Cousineau on to talk about it, along with, in both of those cases, again, I, I shout out to my friend Bob Reorn, who's supporting these events, and he's got the uh, Folium PX product, foliumpx.com, Chernobyl-level antioxidant. An answer to a lot of the things that you know we have to talk about here. Go to foliumpx.com, use the code RSB10, get 10% off, the Folium Original, the Folium Immuno, Folium Relax. And if you've hit a ceiling in your healing, you can break through. Break through with Folium and get on the dance floor like my mom at 89. Then we have the Biomed Expo, September 14th through 17th also. Uh, we'll be there. Folium will be there. Cardio Miracle will be there. I'll be there with silver and copper. And uh, most of these places I go to, I always like pouring silver and copper shots for everybody and giving you some, some ch- chances, opportunities to get stronger. Biomedexpo.com. Get your tickets. Las Vegas. And that's at the uh, Alexis Park All Suite Resort. And for Super Don's sake, there'll be a lot of UFO things happening simultaneous. You don't have to go to them, but it's kind of interesting. I am. It's like fun, a little fun. No, I, I, I don't know. When did I become the UFO guy? You weren't you? Didn't you work with Art Bell overnight at TRM? No, 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 no that wasn't you. No, that was no. years before I got there. <laughs> 
Anyway, I, li- I like to joke about these things, but some people are totally into it, and I don't mind. It doesn't bother me at all. I think it's uh, interesting. It's, it is. I, it's it's more interesting now than it used to be for me because right. now we've got all these revelations from official sources now right. talking about it. Not taking an official position at the moment, but anyway, it's there as well. How about Houston, Texas in September, further in September, the end of September, 29th and 30th? Yes, this is it. And it's like 80% sold out, y'all. So if you want to go to this, the 10th anniversary of Healing Strong, Susie Griswold and the crew there, they're going to be in Houston. I'll be there as well. And you can go there, get tickets, healingstrong.org slash conference. I don't know. Did, did we have a, 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 an email to send out or a, or a discount code to give out, Super Don? I've sent you things, and I know how busy you are, but please check your email to make sure that we get that out to everybody so that they can get okay. in. And then we have uh, our friends at Nutritional Frontiers, Jamie Dorley, Christine Glein, and others. Pittsburgh professional training event, October 6th, 7th, and 8th. And simultaneous to that, Your Health Freedom Gala and Symposium in Utah. Dr. Pierre Corey, Dr. Merrill Nass, Dr. Jancy Chen Lindsay, Trisha Lindsay, Caleb Warnock, Priscilla Romans. I'll be there with Jared St. Clair presenting as well, 6th and 7th of October. Then we have the big one. The Health Freedom Expo. Scroll on down. The 14th and 15th. Just prior to that, the Trinity Live event, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th. And that is uh, Tinley Park Convention Center just outside of Chicago. And that's middle of October. Please plan to be there. And then we got November happening. 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Scottsdale, Phoenix, Arizona. Heal Your Family Naturally with Drs. Terry and Stu Warner. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. headlining it. Kevin Sorbo. Judy Mikovits, David Brownstein. John Witcher. Dr. Jack Wolfson. Kimberly Overton, our good friend. So many awesome folks will be there, Dr. Richard Urso. And that we may be adding some more events this calendar year, but we now also have February 2nd and 3rd covered next year, 2024, Autism Health Summit, thanks to Tracy Slepsevic. And you guys check that out. Sign up. If you're not already getting the newsletter here at robertscottbell.com, please sign up. It's free. Help us defeat censorship and bypass the censors so we can stay in touch with you. And we don't send out a lot of newsletters. Some of you want more than we send but I'd rather have you wanting more than say, hey, you're sending us too much. So thank you for that. We now have Ask RSB as the uh, handle for what? Uh, Twitter and Twitter. Twitter. Yeah, because it was RSB. Yep. Media. Ask, Ask I think it's already that for Instagram and Instagram. Right. So if you guys do some social media and the RSB show for uh, uh, while we're still on the thing called Facebook anyway. So there are a lot of ways to follow us. We're on Rumble, of course. Uh, many people hear us on various podcasts, band on Spotify, though, and YouTube, of course, and, and LinkedIn. Uh, so help us to share this message of health, freedom, and healing liberty. I appreciate that. And if you want to become a patron supporter of the Robert Scott Bell Show, you can consider that, too. And our next patron AMA by Zoom is going to be the 26th of August. That's going to be a Saturday event, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Real quick, we talked about yesterday uh, with Ty Bollinger. It was great to see Ty, wasn't it? Dude, he's looking good. He, (laughs) of course, knows about orange uh, guard, delimining. If you're dealing with pests, remember the issue of uh, miscarriages associated with pesticide exposure. Good Lord, don't put yourself at risk or any kid or or a pet at risk. Orangeguard.com, delimining-based pest control, OMRI listed for organic agriculture. I've used it in my greenhouse, no problem. You can use it in your kitchen, around your house. And look, I have cats, and they don't like orange stuff, but I've used it around them. I don't spray it on them, and they are not harmed by it. I'm not saying give, you know, cats have a vulnerability there, but the cats I have have not had a problem. 
So you guys have an opportunity here to support a great company, orangeguard.com, and go to Whole Foods if you have them in your area or call them. Say, hey, I want to get some Orange Guard. It's in their system. Support that product getting out to the world. It's so important. If you're at Ace Hardware, they have it at Ace Hardware or go direct orangeguard.com. Thank you, Tor, for uh, supporting this message of health, freedom, and healing liberty, and we appreciate your support for them. Now, we got another interesting story here about, well, I guess this is another weird conflict of interest, but in a reverse sort of way. It isn't so much promoting one thing overtly, even though it sort of did in promoting emergency use authorization injection supernon, mm-hmm. but it was the limitation, the severe restriction illegally of the prescription off-label by physicians who have the authority under their license to, to go off-label with drugs, whether we like it or not. That's a normal part of medicine or medical doctoring. And they were doing ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine off-label, particularly ivermectin. And losing their license for doing so. Yes. Horrible threats. I mean, pharmacists and pharmacies were being threatened for for uh, allowing it to be dispensed, even if it was coming from a doctor with a license, got right a prescription. Now, uh, we got a Substack article on this from uh, the second smartest guy in the world. Who would that be? So, I don't know. It doesn't say his name, does it? No. It's a, it's a bombshell, your favorite word. But on one level, it might be if this were pursued. The FDA admits that its guidance on ivermectin was illegal, yet, of course, it invokes sovereign immunity for misleading statements and crimes against humanity. That is, now, what is sovereign immunity? That is a government like the king or queens of old declaring, you know, whatever the king or queen does, there is no repercussion. There is no way you can have uh, any accountability to make the king or queen responsible, the emperor responsible. And mm. in, in the past, under monarchies or other forms of, of government like that, governments could extend that, or queens and kings could just declare, hey, my friend over there is immune to persecution for anything, therefore he can rape, kill, pillage, and burn, and you can't do anything to him because he's under the protection of the sovereign immunity of the king. Now, we have that in our government, which wasn't supposed to happen. We're not supposed to be a monarchy. We're not supposed to be anything like this yet guess what 1986 the federal um, injury compensation program was passed signed into law by reagan one of the worst things he did that basically granted immunity to the makers of those injections from you know liability should they should they injure or kill anybody and of course then the explosion of those products at the market because got no risk no no incentive to make them safe or effective it doesn't matter now in the case of ivermectin which was, uh, I think, already a generic drug, I believe. It's not very expensive. In fact, you can, you can buy it in you know, horse tack and feed shops. And a lot of people were because they couldn't get it through the pharmacies because it was available as a dewormer for horses. But then you know, a lot of folks said, oh, it's only that. You guys are promoting dewormers for horses. Horse like paste. Joe Rogan. Horse paste. Joe, yes. Joe Rogan was accused of that. And you know, it was absurd. It was irresponsible. But the FDA gets away with it because they claim, hey, we're part of the government. You can't sue us. Yeah, I know we violated the law. We violated the Constitution. But uh, ha-ha, tough nubs, try and do something about it. Is there going to be a Department of Justice investigation against the FDA? No. Any more than there's going to be a DOJ investigation of, what's the guy's name? Anthony Fauci. Fauci? Yeah. As Rand Paul submitted it there, nothing. Submitted it to D.C., probably nothing there either. 
And this is what we're dealing with. The reason the FDA did that is because they had to prevent anybody from knowing or acknowledging that ivermectin could be used to treat this emerging bizarreness of what they call COVID-19 because it would eliminate any possibility for an emergency use authorization of an injectable experiment of the mRNA variety for COVID. That was the critical play. We had to suppress anybody, anything, anyone who claimed or utilized or uh, got success in treating it because it was required in order to get an EUA for an injection like that. There would have to be no accepted possible option other than the emergency use that they would gain for the injection. Criminal behavior, yes. Deadly results, yes. Accountability, none. So here we are again, conflicts of interest. The FDA not protecting the public, not protecting you or me, the people of America, any more than Health Canada protected the people of Canada or EFSA was protecting the European people, so to speak. I know people, you know, I'm, hey, I'm not European, I'm French, whatever. You know what I'm saying. You were not protected by your regulatory authorities. You were thrown to the pharmaceutical wolves. Like, led like lambs to the slaughter. Raise your arm, get the shot. You have a choice, get the shot or you lose your job. Get the shot or you don't travel. Get the shot or you can't do sports in school. Get the shot or you can't go to school. This was a fundamental and supreme violation of agency, freedom, granted to you by your creator, which is not government, despite what you may believe. FDA attorney Ashley Chung Honold said the FDA has sovereign immunity and cannot be held responsible for misleading statements. Again, they maneuver their way out of any responsibility. In China, in theory, they would be beheaded. Head of the FDA, I think, once was sentenced to death there. Their FDA, if you will. Astonishing what we're witnessing here. Now, you think things have gotten weird? They're about to get weirder. Breitbart is reporting by the LA Times. The LA Times is making the claim, apparently. That making people who work for a living, employees are called, show up in person to work at a job site exposes them to not leprosy, but racism. <laughs> Which one's worse? Are you sure this is not the Babylon? <laughs> no, this is a real thing. This is a real thing. Um, you know, listen, there are a lot of people, uh, courtesy of the lockdowns. Mm-hmm that ended up uh, working from home. Yeah. Something where they'd never done before and something that they had trouble getting used to. There were all kinds of issues with people, you know, being all messed up and being at home and having to do Zoom meetings and, you know, getting uh, weird conditions from doing it so much and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> of course, on the flip side of that, how many time, how many other stories did we cover that were kind of like a silver lining? Remember that? Yeah. It's like suddenly... Suddenly, families were spending time together. Mm-hmm. God, they ate dinner together. It was a really yeah. weird thing. They cooked, you know. So I'm, you know, it was, it was a mixed bag. But in any case, there are a lot of companies now that are like, "Hey, look, guys, you know, mm-hmm. the thing's over. Uh, come on back, you know. Let's yeah. let's let's go back to work." And a lot of people have been resistant to that, where they just but been like, "No, if latest- I have to go back to the office, I'm going to get find another job." Is this the latest excuse, though? 
It's like, oh my gosh, well, there this, are racist I've, people there, and and I don't want to be exposed to people that don't like me because of my skin color, for instance. This this is something I had not seen before, uh, but apparently, mm-hmm. it's the the LA Times is making the the case that remote work gave uh, people, uh, black employees, and they say workers of color, yeah, uh, a reprieve from racism. Hey, what about hey, what about the white people that go to work in an environment where they're the minority and they feel like they're being uh, uh you know, targeted? It's racist for you. Yeah, it's that's your white privilege. Reverse talking. racism, right? No, there's no such thing. Yeah, I know, but again, anybody with uh let's say uh two brain cells that can click together and make sense, you, you go, This is the stupidest thing I've ever Listen, heard. Listen, here here's the way I look at it. If you're working at a job and there's racism going on at your job, yeah, that's a problem at your job. Yes. That's a problem with the people at the place that you are working with, and that's a problem that can be addressed and taken care of, and it should be. Hundred percent. There's yeah. no you know what, listen, this is twenty twenty three. Uh you know, if there's racism going on, kick its ass out the door. Figure it Dude. out what's going on there and do something about it. And if that's yeah. happening at your job, then deal with it. But it it's not about working at the office. It's about somebody at your office is a douche. Yeah. How about that? If it's not racism, if it's just like, hey, I have a conflict with someone at the office, and if I have to come back to work, I'll have to deal with the conflict, and I'll melt like a snowflake because I can't deal with it. It's like, how did you get into the workforce anyway to start? Why don't we just deal with these? You know, I, I guess, I don't know. It's Maybe it's my white privilege that's like, you know, that's, oh, that's talking it. here. I'm stop, stop it with the white privilege. I, I just, dude, it, you know, that's an excuse to be a victim. Why don't we like identify these situations where the racism is taking place? And I think we're at a time and place in history and the mm-hmm. evolution of this country and, and uh, you know, understanding and maturity that we can deal with these things. Let's do it. You know, can we call it what it is, Super Don? What's that? It's it's bigotry uh, or prejudice. But for the vast majority of people, if you happen to be of color and you go into a work environment and somebody doesn't like you because of your color, it isn't necessarily that they are racist. They don't have an inherent be- or belief in the inherent genetic superiority of them over you. They just don't like you because they're, as you call them, douches. There's a distinct difference, whereas racism is a very vile belief in what? Genetic so, superiority. in other words, what you're saying is there's a conflict with another person. Uh, yes. The other person happens to have less pigment than you. Yep. And so you automatically are going to assume that's racism versus just that's them what being it's a become. jerk. By yeah. and large, that's what it's become. I'm not saying yeah. that there aren't people like that. That's not, I've never said that. But the thing is, you can't even talk about it without being, it's, oh, well. Yeah, it's, it's playing the race card. Or, it's yeah. the race card, which has been around it, for a long time. Yeah. So um, I'm just saying, put on your big boy pants, even if you are, uh, uh, let's say, or especially if you are, because I think this is very denigrating to people of color, if you want to call it that. People who have more pigment. You're like, oh, well, you can't. You can't handle it. Like as an adult, you go, as you point out, you go into an environment, you're like, there's an ass hat. That's, that's just, you know, the horrible person. And you're like, no, I can't go there to work because of that. Even if it's the R word, which is vile and repulsive. Now, if it's institutionalized at the highest levels and, and, and you know, that that's, if there is that, it's disgusting. I don't know that that exists today other than maybe, you know, there's the Ku Klux Klan drive through. I don't even know where that is anymore. You know, I lived in Stone Mountain, Georgia for many years. Apparently, it was one of the, the, you know, the strongholds of the KKK. Now it's predominantly 
people of color, if you want to say that, people with more pigment that live there. And I think it's, it's, it's kind of justice in the end. It's like, hey, we took it over. Now, I don't say that in a bad way or a good way. Just in a, hey, this is just where people have gravitated toward. But to say that I can't go to work because there, there's a racist there, if they're really a racist, man, who would give you a job if that's your excuse? Man up. Woman up, deal with the conflict or find another place to work. And I would rather obviously see if there's really an R-word person there, racist there, to have them kicked out on their aspirin. Yeah. Because they're disgusting. Uh, and that's the answer. Yeah. You know, ultimately, that's the answer. That may not, that may be a hard thing to accomplish, but yeah. I think there are enough people in society at this point. Yeah. Now, finally, dude, I got, I got to get to this. Oh, I got to get to this, dude. Oh, right. Uh, this is so good. Super. This done. is good. This. All right. You're I'm right. This is the best. The here. best. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Best story of the day. All right. You know how you prevent Alzheimer's? <laughs> you you poop. Poop enough. There you go. Yes. Be, Problem be, solved. Beasts or poops a lot and you won't get Alzheimer's. <laughs> how about that? There's a new study that shows how often you should poop to reduce your Alzheimer's risk. Oh my gosh, they're finally paying attention to the Robert Scott Bell Show. What have I said about doctors? If you go to a doctor, your first question to your doctor is, how often do you have a bowel movement? And if it's, if it's fewer times a day than you, or a week than you, find another doctor because they're full of you-know-what, and they might already be suffering from dementia and Alzheimer's. Compelling new research from Harvard suggests your time on the toilet might influence your brain health. Right? <laughs> Dude, if you're not crapping enough, you got crap in your brain accumulating. Toxic poisons, and eventually it will result in neurological inflammation and degradation as your body relinquishes the minerals and fats and other things to protect itself from that which is not leaving your body, but it's staying in your body and creating auto and systemic intoxication over time, resulting in what? A diminishment of cognitive capacity and Alzheimer's or other things like that. And they say this, when constipation becomes chronic, Defined as having a bowel movement less often than every three days. Dude, if you're not going at least once a day, you need to seriously get on the can. Get the, an enema, something. Can jest. My gosh, you've got to correct that fast. I was hospitalized with constipation. I think I have credibility on this issue when I was younger. At least once a day, if not two or three times a day, if you eat, tend to eat two or three times a day. Think about the cycle of inflow and outflow. It should be close to similar. I will leave it at that. But until you become Sir Poops a lot or Madam Poops a lot, you might be risking something that you don't want in your future. Not because you're genetically predestined, but because you're full of crap and you're not getting it out. If you want to learn how to detoxify, come with me. We'll talk about it some more on the other side of this break in the bonus <laughs> round with Robert Scott Bell Show. Where the power to poop and heal when heal and poop is yours. Yeah. All right, bonus round is commencing. Come yep. with me if you want to poop. <laughs> the you way you that said that as we were going out, it, it had a Terminator kind of a feel to it. That's where I was going with that. Yes, okay. I you, so. It's a similar if you want to live, you want to think, you want to have a cogni cognitive capacity in old age. Come with me. If you, well, this is the point of this show. Isn't it a little bit about how to regain your health, not by poisoning it? And... Uh, 
the idea of bec- maybe uh, Lori could do one. Prevent Alzheimer's. Become Sir Poops a lot. That's why it's a good thought. Mm. I don't know if that. I had you know we got a T-shirt for my son. I remember when he was in. Uh, well, it was grade school, early grade school, and it was a funny enough a brown shirt, and it said very proudly, "I pooped today." And uh, I don't think the school appreciated that as much as I think they should have. But uh, basic stuff. Basic stuff. Do you have fun today, Super D? Um, sure. Sure? Yeah. You think you can, you, you can grab a clip from the f- opening of Hour 2? I think there was some good stuff you threw out a, at me. Yeah, I've got a couple of, couple couple of possibilities here. Hmm. I'll figure something out. Very good. Well, we are in the bonus round, and it needs to be a little... A little quicker because I got to pack up finally and head on out to uh, the Red Pill Expo with G. Edward Griffin and the crew. Mickey Willis will be there. Alex Newman. Uh, Joni Abbott's going to meet me there. We'll, we'll be able to do some interviews and, and, and some broadcasting. So uh, I'll be live from there. Do we have any guests scheduled tomorrow? I don't even know. I think there's one. There is one? Okay. Yeah. Let me look here. I'll be live from the Red Pill Expo. Looks like in the... Second hour, we've Chaplain, got Chaplain Gordon James Klingenschmidt. Yeah. John Jacob Jingle Klingenschmidt. What's up with this dude? Lori, I don't you even don't, know. Lori, you don't have to do a t shirt like that. I'm just teasing. Uh, although it would be a fun one. Sir poops a lot. And you can explain why that's important. But what about ladies? Madam poops a lot. Anyway, that's or a good thing for you. Yes. Or Klingenschmidt. I don't know if that's the same thing. We'll have to ask him. But uh, maybe we won't. Um, yeah, so subject matter is going to be about uh, adult content in children's libraries. Okay. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's censorship. Former Colorado oh. legislator and professor. Yeah. You guys want to muscle up? Get some super creatine. It's on sale this month, August 2023, from Nutritional Frontiers. Use the code RSB15 to double dip off their already, well, big discount this month. And uh, get that super creatine, a comprehensive formula that is something I even take and bulking up, getting those muscles. So very cool. There you go. All right. So, yeah, kind of a slow day. Yeah. It seems here as far as chat rooms go. As far as anything going on on Rumble I should know about before we wrap it up here. No. No. I think they missed a lot today between E. Morden and what I covered today. I thought that was some seriously good, yeah, good, good discussion points. And uh, I think lessons to be learned about three words, conflict of interest or conflicts of interest, mm-hmm. uh, as it relates to these uh, school-based medical delivery units, so to speak. It makes me wonder what kind of protest there may be at the local level on these things. You know, I mean, I could see like a children's health defense or a, something like mm-hmm. that going on. Um, you know, opposing that sort of thing. Yeah. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Because mm-hmm. it's really hard to look at that and not go, yeah, okay. We see what you're trying to do here. Well, if you the counter protest, of course, is going to be the same old tired trope of you're racist, you hate poor people. And I'm like, no, the argument is reverse of that. Your eugenicists, if you're targeting black people for shots and drugs that are poisoning them, and well, you hate and I, poor people if you want to poison them like this, instead of, as Bobby Kennedy says, hey, how about getting everybody to grow food organically? See, and to me, I'm thinking that the parental consent 
angle oh, of this is going to be a big one a too, big one, yeah. right? Yeah. It's like, listen, sure. you know, yeah, and I think that you may have people that are be just like, well, whatever, I'm not, you know, it's like I don't really have a problem with, you know, vaccines and stuff like that, but mm. I want to be able to say whether they get it or not. You yeah. know, you're taking that 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 right away from me HPV as a parent. shots are us. Yeah. Yeah. So, it'll, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons to, to oppose this, but again... Why do you send your kids to government indoctrination centers? And largely it's economic because, you know, most people can't afford to either pay for private school. They have to work, get or, jobs. And, or homeschool. Yeah. Um, you know, for us, homeschool wasn't an option because, you know, my wife would have killed the kids. And that's not bad. On, <laughs> not bad. on You know, there, there are some people that, that are made for, others are not. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I admire uh, anybody, male or female, who can do homeschooling. Um but the uh, the private school issue, I mean, what we did is every little bit we had, that's where it went to control a good education that we, you know, we weren't able to do, you know, in-house. But again, also remember, if you do send them even to private school, much less public school, you've got to engage with your kids every day to deprogram them from the things that you don't realize they're learning. And a lot of times, even in private school, you know, as I said, we were at a private school much of our, well, the whole years of my kids' lives. And different, various different schools, they, you know, had religious orientation, some of them as well. But even they, you could, there you could find things that were just bizarre. You know, we talked about the wokeness creeping in while we left Florida uh, and, and went west. And it was a good thing for my daughter, especially. So uh, it can happen even in private schools. But, the, the, you know, the issue is parents engage when the kids get back. Find out what they've been programmed to believe while you were not there and engage and talk about it and deprogram them. Critical thinking skills are great and fine. Being exposed to these uh, things that are out there in the world, again, with them within, under the what pretext of we're going to think critically about these things as opposed to this is what I'm going to indoctrinate you with to believe. So it's not me going, oh, censor, censor, censor. No, age-appropriate delivery of even controversial subjects is not the problem. The problem is when these teachers are informing you in a way that if you have a question about it, you're immediately relegated to uh, subhuman status or racist status or any number of things that they will throw at your kid to go, how cruel and mean are you? You're not, you're not, uh, you know, they'll call you anti-something. So uh, that's not critical thinking. That's indoctrination. All right. Anything else before we wrap up? I got to head to the airport. Do you have an article there you want to show? Something you see just popped no. up? No, no, I don't. Okay. All right. No, we're all done with articles, man. What are you talking about? We covered a lot today. Yep. All right. Well, you have a good flight. Thank you. Thank you. We'll and uh, next time we'll see you, you'll be in Des Moines? Des Moines. Des Moines, Iowa. Right. Getting ready for the Red Pill Expo. Still got to work on my PowerPoint, but I got time. I'll do it. All right. Marxism in medicine. Not a good thing, but that's what most people are engaged in. So we'll hit that. So thank you all for being here. Please share the show if you enjoyed it. And even if you didn't, share it because you might have learned something or might be someone out there that needs to learn something that they haven't considered. And I think we covered some of that today for sure. So God willing, see you tomorrow, less than 22 hours from now in a different time zone because the power to heal is still yours and Super Don is awesome.